Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church dear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-A-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works. Okay, Blake, if you had one idea, what would it be to put up on social media to make it go viral? At this point, I'm just writing the daily TikTok trend of the day. Welcome to the Church Gear Podcast, where we pull the tech out of the booth and onto the stage to share the most outlandish stories and hidden wisdom from the tech trenches. And now, here are your hosts. I'm your host, Blake Hodges, a man who wonders how much we should embarrass ourselves on TikTok for views. And I'm here with my boss who loves embarrassing himself more than anyone I have ever met, Toby Walters. See, I don't think it's embarrassing when you're awesome. Well, no. Look, you and I hold this viewpoint, uh, unlike most people, that as long as you get the laugh, it's good. Brian Deshaun, he also holds this. Um, but I think there's not many people like that that are just willing to embarrass themselves for no reason. No, I I don't get embarrassed is the thing. Like, I'll do something that is ridiculous, and I'm like, I meant to do that because it's awesome. Because I'm awesome. Right, Blake? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, viral moments. Like, how long have you been alive, Blake? I've been alive a long time, 29 years. So I'm just thinking of the last decade, some of these like ridiculous viral moments, like Gangnam Style. You remember that? You know what, Toby? <laughs> um, that was actually, uh, I, that was the one dance I could do in college. Oh, man. And I went to a very Christian college, so they they just started having a dance when I when I was there. And so that's the one dance I could do. Yeah. So I, I, I do I, remember I'd that I'd like one. video of that. Uh, how about Baby Panda? Do you remember that sneeze? I don't. Oh, man. It's uh, Baby Panda sneezes and surprises mom. Like, mom just, like, jumps, and it's it's hilarious. And then Baby Shark. Oh, gosh. Let's not start that song in our heads. Every preschool teacher everywhere is uh, freaking out thinking of that one. And do you know the guy that – it was just like a dad that made that up for his kids, and he's worth, like, $200 million now. No. Yeah. That song made yes. him that – It's insane. I'm surprised the intellectual property wasn't just stolen from him. That's how those typically go on that guy. Yeah, is uh, so you're a you're a brand guy, Blake. That's what Wh I tell people. What's the secret sauce to making something go viral? Well, you need uh, it's kind of like how comedians do it. Um, you need something that is universally true and felt by everyone, but no one has said it out loud. Mm. So, like, what is something all husbands experience? That if they're a comedian, you would then make a joke about that, and it would so deeply resonate with people, they would crack up and love it. So that's kind of the the first step on a viral video, but it's that plus luck. Do you have a uh, social post in your background that was clearly your biggest winner? You know, I'm still disappointed that uh, my marriage video didn't go viral because you know how you do the mother-son dance? Mm. Um I did it. Me and my mom did it to where, uh, like, you know, it's about 15 seconds into the dance and then it, the music breaks and suddenly we throw on these Pikachu glasses and we dance to the theme song of uh, Pokemon. And then I've got friends in the background throwing the Pokemon like characters all like into the room. It, the whole, the, you know, this is happening in West Tennessee, small town America. <laughs> 
They're like, who in the world is this kid that's marrying the girl from our town? It was hilarious. And when I shared it on Facebook, I didn't set the permission structure to where other people could share it. Ah, so maybe you need to re- repost it now, now that you have millions of listeners to the Church Gear podcast. You know, but the thing is, they won't be surprised. They know I'm a doofus now. That, that is true. But, uh, one of my favorite memories is a friend of mine posted it, and it was winter one year. And he was in the backyard, and somebody else was filming this, but he's in the backyard, and it had been snowing. And so he picks up a, um, you know, he makes a snowball, and he is a good 50 feet away from his son. His son's about six years old at this time. His son is up on the playset at the top of the slide. So he takes this snowball, throws it, and you see the whole trajectory of the snowball, and it curves through the air for 50 feet smacks his son in the face who then rolls down the slide. That's incredible. It was incredible. You need some, if, I mean, if you want people to remark upon something, you need to make something remarkable. And yeah. that's pretty remarkable. And that's like one of those moments you're like, you could never recreate that again without like CGI effects. You know, to be truthful, that's probably the most viral component there is, is like you need something spontaneously awesome to happen while there's a camera going on. Like you can try to manufacture them, but they kind of just have to, this kind of have to come. It's kind of appear out of nowhere. You know, you know who also is really great at appearing out of nowhere and hitting someone in the face on the top of a slide? It's the lead audio engineer and live production lead at Preston Wind Baptist, Mike Smith. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Oddly enough, that is not a skill that I possess. <laughs> you don't think you could throw a snowball like that? I don't know, but all I can think of is Elf when you were describing that when he's in Central Park, when he's throwing when he's throwing the snowball at the bullies. Hold on, Blake. Have you seen Elf? I have, and I think it's the most overrated Christmas movie on the planet. You're fired. Okay, so here, here's my te- my my hot take on Elf. The fir- the first part of the movie up until the, like the last twenty minutes is amazing, and the last twenty minutes is just stupid. Christmas movies like, struggle to stick the landing. Yeah, but it, it's like once it gets into the, everybody singing the same song all over the city, I'm out. I literally, when I watch that movie at Christmas time, I get to that part in the thing right after he yells at uh, the author in the. Right after Buddy's dad yells at him in the conference oh, yeah. room and he leaves, from that moment, I turn it off. I'm done. Because it stops just being Will Ferrell funny to just being kind of a cheesy Christmas movie. But it is a great movie. Maybe it's I should give it another try. Very, very, very quotable. I'll give it another shot next Christmas because that was back when I still hated Christmas. My wife has turned me around on that now. <laughs> so maybe I'll maybe I'll enjoy it. I do love Christmas now. So is The Grinch your favorite movie then? Because you identify? I have a onesie, head-to-toe onesie of The Grinch is, for this reason. That is true. Uh this is ridiculous. We're talking about Christmas in February, but who cares? Um, Mike, is uh, is your where does Christmas Vacation rank for you though? Is that above Elf? Um, it's actually been a while since I've seen it, but it's I, I end up watching Elf. Elf's a little more family friendly, so Elf gets probably watched more frequently than Christmas Vacation. But there are some really great lines in Christmas Vacation. Oh, I'm devastated. Yeah, my kids haven't seen Christmas Vacation yet. Well, that's probably the the next step in their development. It's it's a little racy at times. It, it is. There, there's a little bit of language in it, so it's like gonna be cautious who you watch that around. I have a feeling my kid will watch that at about nine years old. All right, so let's do let's let's move to the five truths and a lie. Now that we've talked about Christmas in February, okay, let's see if we can get this, Toby. Uh, number one, met my wife in Australia. And that makes me wonder, is she Australian or is she American? And they just met in Australia. And did she need to get her green card? Yeah. Hmm. Number two, I have a BA in music. Oh, so he's a bad, in in music. 
He's a bah in music. He's a bah in music. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say the other word. Number three, I wanted to say a Christmas vacation word there. Mm-hmm. Number three, uh, he cooks dinner most nights for the family. All right. He looks like a man who's, uh, you know, skilled with his hands in the kitchen. Yeah, he looks wholesome. Number four, served at my previous church for over 30 years. That's a long tenure. I can't imagine being somewhere for 30 years and then switching churches. Brian Bailey must have just had like a crystal ball to to force him over there. Or he blackmailed him. Maybe. Number five, mixed front of house and monitors for Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, who played piano for John Legend and Sarah Barellis. Oh my gosh, Blake. Barellis? Barellis. Barellis. You don't know Sarah Barellis? You know a couple of her songs, that's I'm, for I'm sure I know her songs. Number six, and finally, started my career by editing a national radio program on reel-to-reel machines. Now, Ooh. is that like TikTok reels? Instagram reels? Blake often embarrasses no. himself, so you're getting getting your first view into this. <laughs> I'm just I'm just being quiet while you guys read the read the point. So I'm just like a reel to reel machine. My comments is to myself. Like old school tape. No, I know. I just wanted do, to do you though. Well, yeah, because I sent you that picture of the one my dad had in his garage. Remember a couple years ago, I was like, "Should we sell this?" So Mike can correct me a little bit, but with old school like tape, you actually have to like lay it down on an editing block and you use. Uh, little marking pencils and then you slice it with a razor blade china markers you slice it with a razor blade and then tape it back together that's how you edit tape mike you are incredible you are incredible that you were able to edit like that that's amazing well maybe he's that's how the whole community did it yeah or am i he's he's done a great job of getting nothing away like i'm looking at his face he's said nothing he's made no expressions but like before early 2000s that's how all editing was done and I mean, some people still do it that way. Why would they still edit that way, though? Because they record to tape. Like bands like White Stripes and Foo Fighters, like they want to record straight to tape. Now, they'll probably dump it into Pro Tools and then edit digitally at this point in the world, but mm-hmm. I'm sure there's still some guys out there that are just editing tape. Look, there, I get it. Every industry has its purest, and it's like that that advancement in technology actually took some soul out of what we were working on. That's the same thing for movies. Yeah. Oh, man. This is really difficult. None of these are like... I've got my guess. All right. Well, you go first. I'm going to guess that the lie is that he cooks dinner most nights. I'm going to say that he is actually a terrible cook and his wife doesn't want him anywhere near the kitchen. Okay. Um, I'm going to say he didn't... uh, I I wanted to say the Australian one. I'm going to waffle here. I'm going to go back to... uh, I don't know. Just make a decision already, millennial. I want to beat you, Toby. Um, I'm going to say he did not meet his... No, I'm going to say the... Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You're out of time. All right. He does not have a BA in music. That's what I'm going to go with. What's the line? Toby's correct. Yes! Toby's correct. Blake... I need to stop. I, I read. I read these questions or these things to my wife, and she laughed out loud when I read her that one, so... Um, I did meet my wife in Australia. However, she is not Australian. She just happened to be on a church trip that we were at down there and met her down there. And then when we got back to the States, we had stuff to talk about. So I'm telling you, these mission trips, Blake, are how like 50% of the Christian couples get together. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. Um, So then, so you did serve at your other church for 30 years. That's a long time. Over 30 years. Yep. Over yep, years. I was there. I started in late eighty or spring of eighty nine, and I left at the end of two thousand eighteen. And was this harvest? So church? I worked there. 
I worked there longer than you've been alive, Blake. <laughs> that that well, oh, just barely, but yes, that is crazy. Um, tell us about working with uh, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber and uh, John. Uh, yeah, I used to do I used to do freelance work in in California, and um, there was one thing that we did. It was a pre it was like Emmy's consideration event, and the the they did a TV version of Jesus Christ Superstar. And uh, it was doing, it was again, it was like trying to promote them to, to get nominated for an Emmy for that. And uh, at that event, uh, Andrew Lee Weber was there and he doesn't play publicly and he actually played piano. And I didn't know this at the time until, but he played piano as, because John Legend played uh, Jesus, I believe, in it. And, and then Sarah Bareilles was in it and they, he played for them while they sang. So it was kind of a cool, cool moment be able to do that because yeah. I was mixing front of house and monitors from the same position. So, and I mostly know his name from Phantom of the Opera. Oh man, he's he's a Broadway giant. I mean, Les Mis. I mean, they're just on and on and on of things that he's done. That's Actually, a, I may be wrong about some of it, but yeah, so he's big guy. Big. And so, uh, talk to Blake about editing on tape. That's did what I was going to ask. Did I get next. it all correct? Uh, yeah. So yeah, exactly. So you no um, tell him he messed back it up. In the, <laughs> early early 90s early 90s i was actually when i first started working for harvest i was actually doing custodial work in the uh, radio um the the radio show the radio program called a new beginning was across the street from the uh, main campus and i started by just doing custodial work over there and then eventually because i was in school for music uh i ended up kind of gravitating into the the editing realm and um was and that's how we did it. It was reel to reel machine, and you exactly what you said. You use a razor blade, and you cut, and then you splice with tape back together again. And yep. And then I can vividly remember the first time I ever. You, I don't even remember what it was now, but the first time I ever saw a digital audio recorder, and it blew my mind. It was, <laughs> it was, it was pretty, pretty uh, old technology. At the, you know, especially compared to now. But uh, you know. That's how we were doing at the beginning was reel to reels. And Blake, uh, this is like high stakes. So imagine you fly in Frank Sinatra for a recording session and then he goes home and then the tape editor has to, you know, remove breaths or coughs or whatever. If he messes up, what do you think is going to happen? I think he'll be sleeping with the fishes. Um, but how, right. <laughs> how do you remove, how do you even see it? Like you're on this physical reel. How do you cut the the breath out of that? It's 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 not visual. It's audible. So you're scrub. They call it scrubbing. So you've got you know each a hand on each reel as you're rotating it back and forth, and you're listening to it, and you find the spot where you want it, and you mark it. Okay, yep. that. Mm. I'll show wanna, you some YouTube videos later. I do want to see how that goes. Yeah. It almost sounds like a, the precursor to DJing. Okay, well, <laughs> going back to the serving your church for over 30 years, that's kind of wild. So give us a bit more of like your background um, from internet stalking you. It seems like you worked at Harvest Church. You already said that to Harvest Crusades to now Prestonwood. So, I mean, how, how did that journey go from church to church? Well, I mean, Cru Harvest Crusades are part of Harvest. So that was just an, extent, an outreach extension of Harvest. So um, it was all the same organization. And at one point, I think we were doing... We would do five of those events in a year, so um, it eventually kind of scaled back to just being a couple of larger events in the year. But yeah, I mean, when I started again, it was radio program stuff, and then eventually they farmed that out to um, the company that's still doing it to this day, 
um, doing the editing for the broadcast. So at that point, they were needing somebody to help with audio, and I was doing, I was going to school for music, hence the BA in music. Um, and uh, uh, it just so that was just something I was doing while I was going to school, and eventually found out I had a bit of a knack for it. Um, was eventually kind of running the department. I still have a great relationship with all the guys back there. We have a group me thread. It's called the old gang that we still frequently text each other in. And so shout out to those guys, Chris and Brian and the guys. And, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, so I was leading the department and then, um, I got to, I graduated from college and the guy, I, I had music and Originally, I wanted to be like a touring musician. I really was interested in film scoring and all these other things, but I had no idea what I want, like what I should do. And my, the pastor, worship pastor that was my boss at the time said, well, you're doing audio. You're getting paid to do audio. Are you enjoying that? And I was like, well, yeah, I am. And he goes, all right, well, then see where that takes you. So I finished, you know, I got out of college. I did some more music and then eventually... Here I am. <laughs> I was around enough musicians that were actually really good at what they did that uh, I realized that my forte was more on the on the audio side of things. Um, so then, yeah, my, my my family and I were there. Uh, my kids grew up, um, and uh, eventually have um, my my one of my sons has got now five kids, and so I have seven grandkids. And uh, my th at the time there were three, and they were all living in SoCal with you know near us. Their family uh, moved to Austin. My son works uh, out of outside of Austin for Adobe, and um, and so we were already feeling like it may be time to move on, but we didn't know what that meant. So once they moved to Texas, and I have family out here, they've I've had family out here for quite a bit, quite a few years, and so that kind of pushed the needle in the direction of Texas, and uh, found in this this job opening popped up and we had worked we had done a couple of crusade events here in Dallas so I had already made personal connections with some of the guys here and so when I saw this job popped up pop up I um I reached out to them directly and about six months later I was moving out here and Blake uh <clears throat> growing up in Southern California I went to Harvest Crusades when I was younger oh really and, uh, and these are like stadium events like I mean, they were really kind of archetypes of the Billy Graham Crusades. It's, you know, mm -hmm. let's bring in some great bands, some great Christian artists, and let's get 50,000 people in a stadium and share the gospel. And then, you know, for like an hour, they would have an altar call and just thousands and thousands of people coming forward to receive Christ. It was, these were huge and amazing events. That sounds really yeah. awesome. I'm surprised they had enough people at the foot of the altar to handle that many thousands of people coming forward. Well, they actually put them. It's at it, it, the big the flagship event is at Angel Stadium, and so they they open up the outfield for that moment, so people can come down and they stand on the outfield, and then us and get them off as soon as they can because we're usually there in the middle of baseball season. So, yeah, I know you guys in, are getting infield. Infield is off limits, but they open up the outfield for for that moment. I know, you, I know you guys are getting saved from the pits of hell and all, but we got a baseball game to play. Well, and, it's not like they're picking them up and dragging them off, but there is, you know, they wait a, a, a reasonable amount of time, and then when the crowd starts to thin, they start to escort them off. So, Mike, I got the uh, the fun chance to come tour Prestonwood. Um, was about yeah. six months ago I met you, and yeah. that was the first time I'd actually been in that auditorium. And, you know, you guys are 
probably top 1% as far as like size and technology of a church worship space. Talk to us just a little bit about um, what kind of systems you guys are running. Like, are you doing, you know, the upgrades you've done over the last couple of years? I know you're, you know, in the middle or have done a recent line, line array upgrade. So what are you guys running? What are you guys working on? Um, we upgraded uh, to Digico um, a couple years ago. And so uh, we have those at front house monitors and broadcast. And um, we're running Sure uh, Axiant Wireless. And um, we currently, uh, we'll, we're going to be upgrading our PA here um, beginning of summer. So we'll be um, moving up to DNB Soundscape with the XSL. So uh, that's taking, taking a year to get here because of supply chain issues, but uh, we should be doing that at the beginning of summer. Okay, and we heard the Soundscape, uh, obviously a much smaller version at the MXU headquarters. Blake, you were quite impressed, were you not? That is truly the most uh, <laughs> connected to sound I have ever felt in my entire life. I mean, that was, it, there's no way to describe it because when I was in it, I thought I, I don't even have words for this. It was incredible. Yeah, the best way I've found to describe it is like mixing from with like a with RGB to mixing in color, or like full color. It's it's pretty amazing the the sonic depth and spread that you can get out of it. And are you um, like is your headspace prepared to mix differently once you have that system in place? And then how are you training those under you that are also mixing? Um, well. I mean, all of it's mostly mental right now. I mean, like we've gone to hear um, uh, another installation of it. We had a demo. We had, they actually brought a rig in here and did a full demo in our space for us. So um, I've already got the kind of a mental, I'm working towards like mentally how I'm going to do all this and how I'm going to do the bus structure and and try to make that all work. I'm working directly with our MD on our, how we're going to kind of adjust our tracks rig um, to accommodate this because the big thing that we want i mean because you know i know we're going to talk about the christmas thing but like christmas is kind of its own animal but like wanting soundscape to not be a distraction for sunday mornings because i feel like the temptation can be just because you have the tools to use it and just throw things into the surrounds and, and are, i really really am trying to get that 95 percent of the things that are never going to change and never going to move nailed in nailed down and then that way you can play with the rest of it and and make it make it uh, to where if like you muted it, people would notice that it was off. But if with it on on a regular Sunday, they wouldn't. It just kind of helps pull everybody's attention towards what's happening on stage. Got it. And uh, how's the you know the level of people that are mixing front of house? Is it you know very capable people that can all level up to that soundscape world? Or are you going to have to you know set new training standards or new standards for the the guys that mix front of house? Yeah, it's kind of the wild, wild west, honestly. I mean, we're it's a new world. Um, I'm I've reached out to a guy that does some stuff on Broadway to try to pick his brain on some things. Um, uh, at first, anyway, it'll it'll primarily be me, um, and then um, uh, one of the guys here, uh, our audio guys named Brian Brian James, he will be. Um, also stepping into that. So it's going to be one of those things, I think for a bit, it's going to just be me trying to figure out how, what works and get it really nailed down and spend a lot of time in virtual sound check and getting things. And then, and then kind of once I figure out best practices, then, then passing those on and, um, and getting other people trained up. Cause again, there's, there's not a lot of people doing this, particularly on the scale. 
So, um, you know, it's like a left, right mix. Like I can, I can walk away and there's a couple of guys that can step in and, and, and do that. And it'd be, it's going to be great. Um, but this is one of those things where I kind of want to set the best practices from the, from the beginning. So where, um, we're, we're not hamstringing ourselves for things down the road. This is, uh, opening up a whole new world of, you know, mixing tactics and the things that we can accomplish. Um, so, uh, Mike, we just, we, you kind of glossed over it, but yeah, we want to talk about your viral moment recently. And Blake, are we just blaming Brian Bailey? Oh yeah. Like I'm in the bus. You're, you're the, you're in the back of the bus, you know, shouting and we're going to back up over him. Yeah. So was it, was it Brian's, Brian Bailey's decision to put this uh, drummer boy in the air that got you guys a whole lot of attention recently? Well, first of all, it wasn't a drummer boy. I think there's seven. It's a a fleet of drummer boys. Oh man. Yeah. What what is the group name for a a group of drummer boys? Is that a a drum of boys? You know how there's like a flock of geese and Mm -hmm. a... I don't know. know (laughs) Mike's not going to help us out at all on that joke. Okay, (laughs) I don't don't even know what that would be. No, and we also have angels. We have flying angels. Um, And um, so, yeah, that was Brian's video. And honestly, he just posted it just because this is something he we were doing. We were in the middle of it, and um, I I started hearing that it was kind of making its way around, and then um, eventually I got people sending me clips of it that they were they're popping up in their feeds like people from like california and montana i had people just sending me clips of this thing and um uh then you kind of started realizing how big how out of hand this has gotten and at one point actually because there were thousands of comments about it and almost all of them were negative um really brian personally got like 25 dms that were all positive like nobody personally reached out with anything negative. It was all just armchair quarterbacks that don't know what they're talking about. Um, and uh, so at one point, Brian pulled it down, but then the church ad- administration started getting wind of it. And uh, they just, he put it back up again and figured we're going to ride this wave. And, um, you know, I think it, it gave us an opportunity. Brian was able to speak into it. Um, I know that the, the senior leadership was able to speak into it uh, in the local paper. And, um, I mean, it didn't hurt attendance. There's, um, we have 14 sold out shows. I think there's, I think I figure what the capacity is. Cause we have to reduce the, the seating capacity in the room for this show because they pulled some pews out. But, um, I think there's like 60 or 70,000 people that come out over the 14 shows. So, um, yeah, it didn't hurt attendance at all, but, but yeah, so it's just, it's, it's frustrating because when, again, people are making comments about they're, they're making assumptions about a mega church. And I can speak to, since I'm in the middle of all this, I mean, I don't know, I was probably in the room when he filmed that video, but, you know, uh, the event is self-funded and, um, you know, everything's bigger in Texas. So we, we do this, this show that's, you know, ends up bringing all these people in and we've had, I forget what the final number of people that made professions of faith. It was somewhere near a thousand people that made professions of faith and, so, you know, it's all about getting the gospel out and doing it in an excellent way. And I can, and I can honestly say, and it's not just because I'm mixing this thing, but it is, it is top notch. I mean, it is Broadway level, um, what we do. And there's like a thousand volunteers that do this. So when you watch the show, nearly everything, every person you're seeing is volunteering their time to be there. So, and they commit a lot. So there's not only the 14 shows, there's two dress rehearsals and all of the rehearsals leading up to it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was an odd thing to to have 
I mean, again, I, I wasn't in the middle of it since Brian's the one that posted it. He was the one that was stuck in the middle of it, but I was right there through it all. And it was just amazing to watch. It was really to see the people's negative responses to it. it was really discouraging at one point because again, they're assuming that, you know, Jack Graham's got a private jet and look at, they could have given all this money to the poor. And it's like, okay, we didn't use any tide dollars for this. He does not drive, fly, have his own jet. We literally give millions of dollars to missions and the poor like every year. So this is a, a completely separate event that we use just to bring people in to hear the gospel. Well, I love that like all of Brian's personal connections were super encouraging. And I think, you yeah. know, outsiders, we just, we like to judge things based on our perceptive, our perception, which has nothing to do with reality. It's it's fun how social media has opened up that possibility for our current world. Yeah, fun, fun's a good word for it. <laughs> The, the social media trolls, though, I, I feel bad for them because when you're on social to dampen everyone else's good time, that to me tells me a lot more about you than it does anything about me. That just shows that, like, they're just trying to look smart, look cool. Oh, I want to I punch the system, whatever that is. Uh, they're just trying to rage against the machine. And I heard someone say once, like, if you, would, if you wouldn't take a compliment from someone and hold it in high esteem, don't take their criticism and hold it in high esteem either. So I think that's very telling, as you said, and Toby just re, uh, yeah. reiterated, like, all the personal messages of people who we would actually consider their opinions valid were positive. So there we go. Yeah. I mean, the negative comments were frustrating, but honestly, we all kind of saw it for what it was. I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world to sit in your living room and type of a mean thing. And, you know, it's stuff that nobody would have said to our faces in person, like nobody in the room would have said those things. But, you know, it's just easy to troll. And I love that 60 or 70,000 people came to church and a thousand people had a profession of faith. And yeah. It's like we don't right. pay attention to the things that God's doing. We just want to judge a situation. Right. Um, well, and to that point, and to that point, you know, a lot of the comments that were made about it was like, oh, they're dr flying drummers on tr at church on Sunday. It's like none of that happens on Sunday morning. Like our Sunday services during GOC, which is Gift of Christmas, our Sunday services are really big, but they're very simple. Like we don't, we actually do less on Sunday mornings during Christmas because our set is, our set is all tied into the Christmas production. So it's kind of a, a standard, like a one look kind of a service. It's just worship and a Bible study. There's no flying drummers on Sunday mornings. Hang on, that's important context. So this wasn't your, this wasn't a Sunday morning service. This was something you were doing in addition to, to right. Sunday? See, even more so. Yep. So it was purely community outreach. Yep, it is totally community outreach. We do a huge tree lighting event here that's, there's, that's free to the public, but there's like, and it's right, in the, it's right in the middle of GOC. So basically the church is divided into two different work crews. One of them is working on the tree lighting and the other's working on Gift of Christmas. But there's like 10,000 people that will come out to that on that night. And um, it's the same thing. It's community outreach. And there's ministers walking all through the crowds and, and uh, you know, praying with people and inviting them to church. And so, you know, the church is really good about community engagement. And Mike, growing up in uh, Southern California, I still remember going to the Christmas production at Crystal Cathedral. And I remember as a kid, like they had flying angels going overhead. And I thought this was the most fascinating thing in the world. Like how in the world are they getting angels flying overhead? And it was, I don't know. I still remember it. It was a fun memory. Exactly. That's the anchor. That's, that's, I just found out there was backlash to this literally yesterday. I was shocked because I was watching it, as you said, uh, go through all the Instagram channels and like everybody's reposting it. And I just saw it and thought, this is amazing. And then to find out there was negativity from it really surprised me um, because what that's creating is a moment that, the, as you said, like the paper, you guys talked to the paper, you had all these people who would have never come to church 
come to church to see it, like that created an entry point into those people that would have never come regardless. And when people are like, right. I could have donated all this money to to whatever. Okay, well, how much is someone's soul worth? Like if this makes a big enough splash and an impact that tons of people come to just be curious and check it out, there's yeah. a value judgment there that that I think is interesting for, to propose to the to the haters. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it's a self-funded event. It's a ticketed event, so it's not we don't use tide dollars to pay for this thing. So, oh, even more so, they have nothing to stand on at this point, right? I mean, I get it in one regard. There's a lot of you know, there are plenty of mega church scandals out there that people just automatically assume are the case here, but that is not the case here. Totally. And I and I think it's great that then we have this to stand up to the scandals to be like, no, actually like churches can just do something awesome and it's it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um so and then if you're and if you're doubting, come this year especially, because we'll be in Soundscape this year and it's gonna oh, be awesome. I legit, like I want to experience that. No, okay, so or if we're gonna go there, same. Like when he was talking about it, I was thinking, how do we get there next year to see it like whether we even if we have to drive, we have to put a gear run in this. Like I want to go experience that. I mean, my first thing was to tell my parents. I mean, my parents live forty yeah. minutes from Preston Wood, so they would love it. Because I, I mean, experiencing that just in the the small the room at MXU, then blowing that up to Preston Wood, I can't even imagine how cool that would be. Um, speaking of cool stuff, though, uh, the uncool. Well, actually, speaking of uncool stuff, um, we can have production cyclical nature that can kind of grind us up. You know, we can go straight from the large Christmas to Easter production. Um, and then you've got all those the, uh, events that you did with Harvest Crusades um, that you used to help to produce. So like, how do you keep yourself from constantly feeling the pressure, uh, one, of the cycle, and then two, to compete with yourself that you just did last year? It's almost like if you won the Super Bowl every year and then you have to do it, not, not just win, not just pull it off, but do it even better than last year. I mean, that's a lot of pressure to be on you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think... Personally, I can, I'm, I'm always trying to make, I'm, I'm always trying to prove myself. I'm probably my own worst critic. Um, and so I don't necessarily look at it from Christmas to Easter. It's sort of on a week to week basis, like trying to, you know, incrementally make things better. It's super irritating to know that my mixes a year from now are going to probably be better than they are right now. Cause I just want to be right there instead of where I am, you know, but, um, uh, the key to all that, uh, I think is just communication the communication here between us between our media team and worship is really good and so um we're it's very organized and so that takes a lot of the uh, pressure off of the the christmas and easter especially gift of christmas there's not a ton of surprises going into the weekend like we all have a lot of communication um about what's going to come up and what's going to happen in the easter um there's been dialogue there's been rehearsals there's been um, meetings and uh, so yeah I mean again I just I feel like on a personal level I always want things to be as good as they can be and um, I want to you know our band does such a great job that I want to re you know um, amplify what they're doing to represent what they're doing to the congregation as best as I can and so particularly as we go into this new PA and how we're going to handle that um, Again, it frustrates me knowing that, I mean, GOC this year is going to be awesome, but I know that it's going to be better next year once I've had a year of mixing on the system under my belt. So just trying to get it as close as, as good as I can, as fast as I can. 
And Mike, having done this for over 30 years now and even mixing at one of the biggest churches in the country, how do you personally continue to grow and get better? How do you know that your mix is going to be better next year because you're going to do X, Y, and Z for the next 12 months? Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, we've already talked about them, but the MXU guys are awesome, and I've learned a lot from them. I've told them this before, but I, in some regards, owed my job here at Prestonwood to them because my role at Harvest, when I left, was more of in a director's role. I started doing audio, and over time, I did less and less um, and of that and was doing more of like the supervisorial things. And so I eventually, uh, so when I, but audio was still my first love. So I had a kind of an odd trajectory and that a lot of guys, they go from mixing the audio to, to the director role. And then that's kind of where they park and then they do audio every now and then maybe, well, I kind of went the other way. I went director and now I'm back. I mean, I'm managing the audio and lighting teams here, but I'm back into doing audio and it's, you know, it's, it's a real pleasure, uh, to do that here. But um, the, but what I was gonna say is that when I came here to audition, I actually did a couple things in my mix that I had never personally done before that i I had seen on MXU stuff that I understood the philosophy behind and really prayed that they worked and, um, they did, I mean, I'm here, but, uh, I told, I've told Lee and Jeff that, that like, I'm, I'm here partially because of you guys. So, um, but yeah, MXU stuff, virtual sound check, and then taking a lot of those things that you learn and just trying to play around and implement them. And, and then on a Sunday, finding out what works, what doesn't, and um, do it incrementally. Like there's no dramatic moves that I'm making, you know, and I'm kind of always having, I always have like a, a fail safe. If what I'm trying is not working, I can go back. Um, but yeah, just repetition and, uh, the new consoles when we when we switched over to the Digico consoles that was a, a relatively I had worked on them some before but you know really dig, deep diving into that and fi finding tools that I didn't know were there and and seeing how those work and uh, just experimenting. And Blake keeps joking. Blake knows. I won't say nothing anymore. Like you you know like two things. A smidge above nothing. Yeah. Um, but he keeps joking that he's going to secretly get an MXU subscription and learn everything about everything and then just like shock and awe us all one day. But I doubt it's ever going to happen, Blake. I think MXU is good enough that if I had the time to dedicate to it, they could teach me. I feel like Lee and Jeff would personally have to mentor you one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, but I think about that viral moment. Suddenly the idiot, like in five years from now, just like mixes the, the show. That'd be hilarious. You just called yourself an idiot. Congratulations. I, you know, I wear it proudly. I should get a shirt, the Church Gear Idiot, and put that on there. Um, okay, so speaking of moments that can make you feel like an idiot uh, can be when something goes wrong and when something is stressful. So tell us about a moment when you just really felt the stress of working on like a big production. Was the stress in the planning of it? Was it the execution, or like, was there a disaster? Was there a disaster? Did you have Did you have a Blake in your in your volunteer team that really just pressed too many buttons? Oddly enough, in thirty years of doing this, I've never had a stressful situation, so I really don't have an answer. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I thought he was serious. Uh, I was like, well played. Yeah, no, but I, I actually have a few. Um, uh, I had one event like when we first, when digital consoles really started taking off and uh, the PM1D first came out, I jumped in with both feet and uh, finished an entire long sound check without saving anything that I had done. 
and recalled to the next band. And then our production guy had them come back up again and do another song. And I was like, oh my gosh, why are we going to do another song? And then realized that I hadn't saved anything that I had done. Fortunately, back then we were on wedges. That band was all wedges. So I was able to get it back fairly quickly. But that moment has changed my life because I save all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I have the front macro on my console. The first one is a save button. So I save constantly. Um, I had, so my doing production, as long as I have my nightmares were usually production related nightmares. Like I'm not running from the killer clown. I'm, I'm like dreaming that I can't figure out how to get the sound to come out of the PA or whatever. And I actually had one Sunday where I overslept and we had a guest band coming in that morning. This was at Harvest. And thankfully, the Saturday crew had forgotten to arm the building the night before. And so they had been given a door key code and they got in the building and I overslept by like a lot. I think it was about an hour. And I got out of the house so fast and I got there and it was like everything out of my nightmares. Because I was usually the first one in the building to disarm it and to turn all the lights on and everything. And I walked in and there's ushers with flashlights in the pews trying to get the pews in order, the bands on stage in the dark. And um, so, yeah, it's like whatever day I was going to die, it'll I'll die the day before that now because of that that day. It's like the words of Job, that which I have feared has come true. Um, and then I had one other one where I had, I mean, there's been enough, there's plenty of stress, but the, uh, I had, I was doing freelance for a show. It was an award show in, in, uh, up in LA area. And, uh, we had, uh, it was in September and the sun, um, toasted our console and it, it did it over. Uh, so we, we finished, we'd been rehearsing Friday, Long story short, got there morning of or at later. They had moved our call time to later. And when we got there, the sun had baked our console. And so we had to get everything up and running. And it was it was incredibly stressful. It's a really high end event. And we start ended up starting 15 minutes later. And it was no big deal. But it was like I was I was it was one of the most stress I've ever been in my life because it was this. I mean, literally, the show almost didn't happen. And the guy that was working with me. And I got it going at the last minute. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like the key to most of that, again, is um, is prep and organization. Um, you know, I like to say that uh, the battles are, are won and lost in pre-production. So you can't wait until you get to the show to decide how you're going to do that. Um, and uh, so going into the larger events, there's lots of discussions. There's lots of, I've, you know, dropped stage plots and input lists and pre-programming is a big thing. I spend time every week pre-programming for the weekend. The, the worship department uh, gets the tracks for the weekend loaded up Wednesdays or Thursdays, and then go through, listen to all the tracks, make sure that they're balanced out the way, you know, just it's, again, it's just in planning everything. And uh, so that you're not figuring it out on Sunday that basically you walk in Sunday that unless something has changed over the weekend, which isn't normal, but you're, you're kind of, it makes it easier to, it makes it much more relaxing and enjoyable to mix at that point because you're not playing catch up. Yeah. As a planner myself, I love that mindset that really the, the victory hap- it's, it's going to happen before like the game, like you're prepping for the game. Well, the, then you're just going to go out there and get the W you've already won ahead of time. Um, it's also kind of funny how our the scars in our life or the skills that we have can be connected to some scar uh, in the past. Like, you know, Jesus is saving souls while Mike is saving shows. Like, he's he's never going to not save after after that moment. Scott Ragsdale had that same thing happen to him. and he, On a PM1D. 
Yeah. Yes, so I, I understand that that moment. That sounds terrifying. I, I literally had a dream last night um, that I had not turned the videos on for the podcast because we just started doing some video stuff. And uh, I literally dreamed I'd forgotten to turn it all on. And thankfully, we have Nathan for that. Well, I'm supposed to turn the one on the computer, though. Oh, so okay. I, I, that's you the do one. have something to do. There's one part that, that's going to take me on that one. So that's kind of stressful. When you're when you were in those moments though, where you're trying to get it going, like what is going through your head? Like as it's as you're like, do you have a way to to calm the pace down instead of thinking like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh? Like how do you center yourself when you were the console's been baked? Um. Well, I mean, without sounding without trying to sound cliched, I mean, lots of prayer um, at the, in those moments, and just the the phrase that I, I always remembered was, you know, for such a time as this. So it's like, okay, God, you brought me here. You opened the door for me to do this thing right here, right now. And you knew this thing was going to happen. And so um, we've all worked hard to make this happen. So please, you know, let this happen. <laughs> and, you know, even in the in the situation that I was talking about with that award show, I, I'm assuming most of the people I was working around were not believers. Um, but uh, I was I was praying, and so um, you know the, the the award or the uh, the thing where I didn't save. Um, it was just one of those things you realize it and you just you fix it and you move on. And again, it has it has Im- uh, impacted me um, for the rest of my career. So, like you said, the scars uh, that that scar is a as a welcome scar because um, uh, losing information like that is is terrifying. Toby, you got any church gear, church gear scars? Well, I was—I mean, I'm so reminded of his dreams of Sunday mornings. I used to have those all the time as a worship leader. What were yours? Well, I would show up and I wouldn't know the songs. I wouldn't have chosen a set list yet. Um, like, just things were not ready. And then I get up on stage and just have to figure it out. So, I'd, it was a reoccurring nightmare <laughs> for yeah, years. For years. I wonder how many it's, people have reoccurring nightmares like this for their for their profession. Man, well, um, Micah, the thing that would maybe help us with our nightmares and keep us from those happening is uh, some good sage advice. So, uh, what would you what would you give us for a tech takeaway from from Mike Smith? Well, I would say that it's not as much a tech takeaway, but um, you know, looking back on my career, you know, relationships are are key. Um, you know, you can have the best mix of your life, but in my world, that's just so transitory. I mean, what I do for a living has an incredibly short shelf life. Um, there, there may be moments in my career that I can look back and remember fondly, but most people aren't. You know, they've come to church and they've moved on. Most people don't remember what happened last Sunday. They're not going to remember what it sounded like. The only thing they'll probably remember is if there was a problem. And uh, I mean, as a, as an audio guy, there are a couple of mixes in my past uh, of other engineers that have stuck in my head that I've like tried to emulate. But you know, for the most part, what I do is is like I said, it's very transitory. And so, you know, you can be really good at your job, but honestly, the people that you work with are going to remember your personality more. You know, treating people with respect, from the exec pastor down to the down to, it sounds demeaning, but, you know, from the exec pastor to the housekeeping staff, you know, we're all equal at the cross. And, um, you know, that relationship capital goes a long way towards um, building trust, particularly with the musicians that we're serving, whether you're at front of house or monitors, you know, the the band rarely ever gets to hear my mix, um, except as we've talked about on social media. So um, they have to trust me. And so I'll spend time with them 
before soundcheck, you know, every Sunday catching up, sharing, you know, whatever music that we've been listening to. And, and that would be like another bonus takeaway is just to, to listen to music. Um, I, a lot of tech guys don't listen to music or all they'll listen to is like podcasts or whatever. And, and I love music. I love mixing music. I love the band I get to mix and they're giving me, I got no excuses like in, in that end, like everything that I'm getting from them is, is, is first rate. And so, um, listening to music and again, like trying to, and, and communicating again, since I have a background in music, I'm, I, I kind of speak the language a little bit. And so I'm able to, uh, I, you know, they've, they've done their part in prepping for the services and listen and learning their parts. So I try to do my part in listening to the music and kind of figuring out what lines and what parts need to stand out and, and, uh, what the balance needs to be. But again, all of that, I can do all that, but they have to trust me that, that I'm able to, to do that. And, and that comes from just the relationships that you build when you're not in the middle of the service. Yeah, definitely the reoccurring theme has been that the, the trust is the first foundational block, even above knowing audio, video, visual, whatever it is. Like you got to have the trust to be able to then pull this thing off together because it's not just one person in the booth or one person on stage. Like it's a whole team. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of the fifth Beatle thing is, is I mean, as cliched as that is, it's the, I, I, I totally. Um, What's the fifth Beatle? That, you who, know? Yeah, Blake, who is the fifth Beatle? That's what I mean. I know, like the twelfth man in Seattle is the the fans in the stand. Like, is the fifth Beatle like their friendship? Sir George Martin, he was their producer for. Oh, okay, the gotcha. whole time. Okay, well, no, that makes sense. You learn something every day, Blake. There we go. I didn't know there was a fifth Beatle. Watching you grow up before our very eyes. Goodness gracious, Mike. I don't. I don't. I'm just watching Mike's face, like as he's looking between the two of us. He doesn't know what to do with it. He's like, what What is happening here? Um, well, Mike, uh, if someone was going to uh, find you guys on social to say something nice instead of something mean, uh, where would where would they find you? What would you like to plug? Uh, I'm I mean I'm, I'm on Instagram and it's uh, my my uh, username is the Mike Smith uh, M I C so there's nice. underscores between that and uh, if you want to check out what the church is doing, um, I think it's uh, Prestonwood BC um, is the, the Prestonwood has a number of of uh, Instagram accounts, but I think that's their main one is Prestonwood BC. Does, does y'all's and, production uh, team have an account? Yeah, we have at Prestonwood Media, so cool. you can check that out. Yep. And um, that's typically helmed by our beloved leader, Brian Bailey. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, yeah, so those are probably the two main things that I would point people to. Great. Man, we really appreciate you making the time to, to come on the show. I know you've got a lot going on and a lot, of, a lot of mixing to do, so we appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with us. We hope to see you back next week for more absurd stories, tech takeaways, and overall buffoonery here at the Church Gear Studios. Blake, so I feel like the secret to um, having a Bauer moment on social media is to... Um, throw brian bailey under the bus oh yeah let's just back up over him i mean he's the gas in the viral tank that's right you gotta burn him up good old cuban pete oh my goodness <laughs> we love you brian we love you well how can they help make the mike smith more um viral oh yes they uh so whenever his episode comes out this week and you're seeing it on social it's coming up reshare it tag him let's make mike blow up let's make him be more viral than any drummer boy that's ever flew in an air because let's be honest mike smith is way cooler than any drummer boy at prestonwood that's right
Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church gear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works. 